following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. I want to talk about the role of a man in society today. And I think if we don't get the very beginning of that right, then we're going to look around us and we're not going to understand, I think, what's going on in our country, our world, and what our role actually is from the very beginning. And so I do want to pray that God would speak through his word. God would speak as y'all discuss around the table, around the table. Um, but more than that, that, that whatever he puts on our heart, that we'd be willing to obey. Um, there's going to be some, I, I pray that some conviction and also some encouragement um, it's something that God has put on my heart for a long, long time, and it's on Bruce's heart, Dr. Fong's heart, um, and it's really why this study got started, is that we believe that the men are to lead out and to make an impact. And so uh, we'll begin to look at some of that this week, and then we'll have some very practical how can we do that over the several weeks to come, um, and then we'll wrap up at the end of June. So let, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for your love and God, I just come to you knowing that, that you fashioned us, God, that creation is yours, that your will has been clearly stated for each of us. And God, as these men are here and I am here, we're asking you to speak and we're asking you to move and we're asking you to have your way in our heart. And God, I know we have a responsibility in there as well, that you have made us able to respond to your call and able to respond to your word and able to respond to the truth that you have stated. And so, Father, give us the faith that we would pour that back into you, that we would live uprightly with you in an age that doesn't. Uh, Father, we love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As said, I'm Eric, and I am the men's minister here at the church. And, and in a lot of ways, I feel like I have sort of the, the greatest job on the planet. Um, probably 15 years ago, I was in a nonprofit, and I was sitting in a hammock in a rainforest in Puerto Rico, on a mountain with all these little things called cookies. They're like little frogs that sing real loud all night long. And I had swim goggles on because they climb all over you. And I just didn't want them on my eyes. I could blow them off my mouth. I just didn't want them on my eyes while I was outside. And so we were, a friend and I, my best friend from college, we were laying in the hammock and staring up at the stars. And then all of a sudden you get a frog on your eye. And, but I, I remember that we were, we were sitting there and, and I told Davies, he said, this is the, this is like, a dream. I said, no, it's a, like the greatest thing on the planet. Like we're, we're talking about Christ, teaching people about Christ, working with Christians around the world, and we're getting to do it together. And he said, there's nothing else I'd rather do in the whole world. And I remember I started to say me too, and I stopped. And I said, there's one thing. And I said, if I could work with men and help them help disciple them. I said, I, th I don't know what that would be like. I don't know what that job title would be, but that, that actually might like that more than what we're doing. I mean, I just sort of left it at that. It wouldn't be until two years that that desire actually would be fulfilled where I would be asked by first to come here and start a men's ministry. And by start doesn't mean there wasn't anything happening. We've had godly men since the 1800s at this church that have invested in the lives of other men. Um, but that, that, that moment was, was very important to me. Um, the role of men in society, I, I want to share with y'all. And the main text we're going to look at, we're going to look in Genesis 2. <clears throat> 
And then we're also going to jump into the New Testament. And I'm going to have some questions on the back of the sheet. So at the top of the top left, if it doesn't say warrior's heart, you're on the back of the sheet. Um, we're going to move fast. There's a lot of information here. <clears throat> Today is my birthday. So I, that's why I also wanted to have this today because 47 wonderful years. So as of, I'll start saying I'm 48 tomorrow. That's just how I do it. My wife's a little bit older, and so she doesn't like it that I'm younger than her most of the year. And so I just, as soon as I hit a birthday, I just roll it up. And so for the next three months, I'll be older than my wife, which is really cool. And then she'll catch up to me in three months in September, and we have a healthier marriage that way. And I think I know it sounds shallow, but I'm being absolutely honest with you. That's it. Um, something did happen 81 years ago, and, I, and it's important. And in June 5th, 1933, the U.S. left the gold standard. And what we're going to talk about today isn't economics and it's not politics. But I want to talk to you today is I think the church left the gold standard some time ago. And we're going to look at what was God's gold standard for a Christian, specifically for a Christian man. What were we to do and how was our life to be valued? And since, since then, you know, we, we swapped something solid and real for something that really wasn't that real. So we had gold and every dollar was backed by a certain amount of gold, right? And then we're like, well, we don't have it backed by anything. Well, what's it backed by? Well, I'm not an economics guy, and you guys are, so this might be oversimplified. It seems like it's more of a concept idea and not necessarily solid value. It changes and it shifts. And I don't know about you, but when you look at our country today, simply stated, we are in a culture of confusion that wherever you look, uh, whether it's the definition of marriage, whether it's what it means to be a man, what it means to be a lady, what it means to be successful, uh, all these things are up for grabs today. Almost any ethic, any, any value we hold is up for grabs today. And so today, I hope that we can look at what the gold standard of life is that God has given us. And to find that, I think we need to go back to the very beginning, into the book of Genesis, in the very beginning. And in the very beginning, we find that there is a God and there is a God who creates. That God is a God who creates out of nothing and God is a God who creates out of his word. That there's this pattern established that he speaks and it exists. He speaks and it exists. He speaks and it exists. And it's, this pattern is rolling. It's going. It's going. It's day. It's night. It's water. It's ocean. It's plants. It's birds. And then for some reason in the middle of it all, he stops. And he's looked at everything. And he's like, yeah, this is good, man. This is really good. This is, this is good. These birds are good. And then for some reason, and we don't know, I have speculation, I have theory, but he, but he walks over and he gets his hands for the very first time, he gets his hands dirty. And he bends down and he, and he mounds up the earth. And he shapes it with his hands. And he looks, and then he does something pretty amazing. Just if you, if you think about it. The God that all he needs to do is speak, and it's done, has actually got his hands dirty with us, right? And then he breathes his breath, and the Hebrew word for that is ruach. 
that he, he breathes his spirit is another translation of that word. He puts his spirit into Adam and Adam therefore becomes different than everything else. That Charles, you're not a hairless monkey. And AJ, you're not highly evolved blue-green algae. And that, that we are categorically different than all the rest of creation. That that is what God fashioned. He fashioned us. We are the pinnacle of creation. He invested himself in us. That God is a God who invests his life into another life. Does that make sense? So that's what we find in Genesis. And so in here, it says, Then the Lord God, Genesis 2, uh, Genesis 2, 7, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. Not only did he create us uniquely, though, he then gives us a job, which is really cool, that our first employer was actually our creator. It's been called the masculine mandate. We find it in Genesis 2, 15. Genesis 2, 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. So where was Adam? He wasn't in the garden originally, right? He was made out of the garden, but then God put him where? In the garden. So who made the garden? God. How is the garden different than the woods? It's perfect. It's ordered. Right? It's, it's got boundaries around it. The difference in the wild and a garden... There's a boundary. There's purpose. There's an investment. There's something, there's something cultured there. God makes Adam out in the wild. God brings Adam and places him in the garden. And in the garden is God's ordered boundary or kingdom on earth. If you want to say, where was God's kingdom? His kingdom was in the garden of Eden. And he fellowshiped with his people called Adam. But he gives him, and this is before the fall, given before the fall, he gives him a command, a mandate. Now I want to look at what that is. There's two parts of it. <clears throat> part one is he was to work it. And part two is he is to keep it. He's to work and to keep what? The garden which is God's kingdom on earth. He is to work and to keep the kingdom of God on earth. And who is he working for? God. So whose kingdom will it be? It's God's. It's God's kingdom. It's not man's kingdom. It's God's kingdom. Let's look at these verbs a little bit closer and see what they are. For the word work, it actually meant labor, fruitfulness, nurturing, cultivating, tending, building up, guiding. All those words. In other words, there's, there's a simple word we could implant for that word that Adam was to be. His role was to be a servant. His role was to be a servant. So when we see work, think servant. And now let's look at the next verb, and that, that verb is keep. And what does keep mean? It means to protect, to guard, to keep safe, to watch over, to rule over. In other words, in, in all of those things, we see that Adam was actually also to be a what? A leader. Now, this is where I get really fancy with verbal jujitsu 
And it's clear that God created Adam to be, wow, okay, a servant leader. That, that our first job before Eve is created, before any other human, our first job as men was to be the servant leaders of the Most High God laboring to advance the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? That is, that is what we are. We have been given... His image, we are his ambassadors, we are his co-regent, we, we reign on this earth. But we also had this intimate connection with him, that we walked with him daily, beautifully. And so within this, the sphere of influence that Adam has, that sphere of influence is actually building the kingdom of God. He was about building and serving now, if having the perfect job, like how many of y'all like your boss? I know if your boss is here, I actually think Greg is awesome, okay? I have, I honestly, I've got like the greatest boss on the planet and, and my other boss is a Jewish carpenter. And so that works out really well for me. But I've had bosses I don't like, okay? My life has been miserable a few times because I had bosses I didn't like. So imagine this, Adam has the perfect job with the perfect boss, Right? So if you had the perfect job and the perfect boss, how would you think your life would be? Pretty good, right? Well, no, because I could be lonely, you know, I'd go to bed late at night. I'd, I'd love to go to, you know, I'd love to go to bed with a woman, you know. So, so what does God do? God loves Adam so much and he looks at Adam and he says, man, there's not anyone else that I've created that really fits with him. So he then, in another moment of divine creation, he fashions a woman from the rib of Adam. So we, are, we men, are a refinement of creation, right? Dirt, spirit, intersect, human, man. Eve is the refinement of the refinement. She's like the fine china. We're like the earthen vessel. She comes from us. She's made in the garden, by the way. We're made in the wild. She comes to him and he says, man... Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She's beautiful. So he's got the perfect environment called the Garden of Eden with the perfect boss, with the perfect job, with a, apparently a pretty smoking hot wife that's made just for him. What could go wrong, right? What could go wrong? Well, the issue arises that in a moment of doubt, in a moment of doubt, Adam abdicates his servant leader position in the kingdom of God. He entertains the thought that God is holding out on him. And how many of us have wondered, God, is this as good as it gets? How many of y'all in your life have thought, God, are you even listening to me? Do you even know what I'm feeling? Do you even know where I'm going right now? We're there. I, I have doubted. And I, I've got a story to tell, but I can't tell it today. But my son and I yesterday, because I confessed to him a doubt that I had, and then last night at bedtime, he called me, he shut the door, and he said, I want to talk. He's 11 years old. And he said, Dad, I have doubts too. And so we sat for 45 minutes at bedtime, and we talked about the promises of God, the Word of God, Scripture memory, talking out loud, bringing our honest confession to God, not hiding from God, but living in the light, trusting that God who made us is the God that can change us. And that God isn't afraid of our doubts and we don't have to run from him and fake it. And if you're in here today and you got, you're struggling, the greatest thing I could tell you today is to take that to God <clears throat> and say, God, I, I'm just struggling. 
And I need you to do something because I can't fix myself. If we could fix ourselves, Jesus didn't have to come, by the way. And I'd rather my son live, learn that at 11 than learn it like I did, you know, like 35 or whatever, you know, like learn it later in life. But Adam stops laboring for God's kingdom and he starts laboring for his own. <clears throat> and the result of that division of kingdoms, now there's a kingdom of man where self is in the middle and the kingdom of God where God is in the middle. The result of that of Adam abdicating his role in society. Adam was to be the servant leader of the Most High God to build the kingdom of God. The result of that was death, decay, and confusion. If we were to think about Tolkien's books, The Lord of the Rings, darkness was rising and the drums of Mordor were sounding. And each day it became darker and darker and darker. We might say, let's give up then. Dark winds. The kingdom of man will supplant the kingdom of God on earth because there are more men than there are God. But God doesn't give up on Adam. God doesn't give up on humanity. God doesn't give up on men. So he seeks to come and he seeks to save. And the story of the gospel is what we, what we see in the rest of the Bible from the fall to the coming of Christ, to the second coming of Christ, we see that Jesus arrives in Bethlehem, but he's on a mission. I love Tolkien's book, The Return of the King. It's not the making of the king, because the king had been the king before, and the kingdom wasn't brand new. So when Jesus came, he wasn't making something completely new that had never been before. He was reestablishing the kingdom of God. That's what he proclaimed the very first time he read. He read from the scroll of Isaiah and he says, the kingdom of God is here. He announces it and then he calls people to him. And then he wants those people to do what he does to advance that kingdom. And he reminds them very quickly after his arrival and very quickly after his baptism about a tendency of the human heart that he had witnessed thousands of years before, and that he knew he would witness again if he abandoned us to our own desires. And so I want you to think in what we've talked about, just the, the two kingdoms. I want you to think about that as we read this. And here it is from Matthew six nineteen and 21. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Do you see the two kingdoms here? You get the kingdom of earth, the kingdom of heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your what is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That God knew there is a fashioned heart and that what we treasure becomes our God. That what we focus on becomes our God that it doesn't take my human heart very long to wander away from God, that if I don't pursue him in the morning, by the afternoon, I'm building my own kingdom. You may just call it selfishness. Well, I just had a bad day today. I was just selfish. You know what? Your heart was wandering from the one true God that made you and loves you, and you got to roll and we, we've already seen it. We're going to look at what it means to roll it out. But if that doesn't sort of sting a little bit, he goes further 
So here in 24 and verse 26, he says, no one can serve two masters. Because we could be tempted to say, well, God, you know, I, I, I can, I still love you and I follow you, you know, generally like I sort of, I'm sort of following you. And so, yes, I, I can sort of do this thing. Most people can't, but I can. I sort of multitask, God, I'm multitasking. He says, no one, and I don't know who the exception is to this, by the way. Because the Greek for this is no one, no person, no other person, not even King David, not the Apostle Paul, not Peter, not Pastor Greg, not Eric Reed, and certainly no one here either, right? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and... I think you've got to fill it in yourself. I don't know what you're prone to serve. I don't know what you're prone to put on an idol. Uh, I had years that I put uh, pornography, got the best time and the best attention of my life. Uh, if I'm going to tell you I went to seminary and I got a master of divinity because I was in school and I studied hard and I worked hard, well, to be very honest with you, then I have a PhD in pornography, that I spent more time over my life engaged in pornography than I did engaged at seminary, writing papers, researching, studying, practicing, quote-unquote, to be this man of God. Okay? So if I'm going to be honest about my degree, I need to be honest about another degree that I hold. But that doesn't define me anymore. That's not the definer of me because I served, I tried to serve two masters, but God in His grace allowed me, allowed my wife to see and discover that part of my life. And it forced me to make a decision. And God created a woman that he knew that I would love more. I didn't love God enough to leave pornography. I loved my wife enough to leave pornography. And in that, I discovered that I love God. And I love God more than my wife now. But it wasn't always that way. God took my heart and he put me on a plan to move me forward in life. But in here, we can't serve God in whatever it is. It could be power, authority, popularity, money. You fill it in. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet are, your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, love it. Are you not of more value than they? Think about it. Adam was the most special of all creation, and yet he began to doubt that he wasn't very special to God. So Adam says, I'll build my own kingdom, and I'll be special. I'll be the big man here. I'm the CEO of the Garden of Eden for Adam. And ironically, he lost significance. Ironically, he lost value. And so he begins to wrestle with his value. You show me a man that doubts their value, and I'll show you a man who doesn't know God, that God loves them more, that God has a greater purpose for them. And then verses 33 and 34, we're given a command again by Jesus, a reminder. Jesus knows our heart. It's prone to wonder. So Christ reminds us of the masculine mandate. But seek first, work and keep the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else is going to come your way. All the things you need will be there. Masculine mandate, work and keep it. And then the conclusion of that, in place of all of our anxiety, he makes a promise. 
a promise to fill us with his peace. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. His solution, Jesus' solution to our confusion today, what is my role in this world today? What is my role in society? What is my role in the family? What is my role in the church? What is my role in the neighborhood? What is my role on my son's little league team? What's my role at the apartment with my roommates? And what should I do to get there is very simple. My role, number one, is to return to the Lord. There's a word for that, and that word is repent. That's the word. It means to turn around and go back. I love the picture in the Old Testament. So we saw at the end of Joshua, and we'll turn there right now in Joshua 24, 14 and 15. We saw last week at at the close of Joshua, we see these words, and so I'm just going to read them. But I want you to hear this idea, this masculine mandate comes oozing out of Joshua's words. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him, work and keep for the Most High God in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served. Throw away the other kingdoms. There's not one. You can't get more value. There's not a better place for you. There's not a better place for me that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and in Houston, and in the Galleria area, and in Katy, and Cyprus, and God knew that we would be tempted, but serve the Lord, verse 15, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, hey, you've got freedom, I'm not going to micromanage you, I'm not going to manipulate you, I'm not going to coerce you, I am going to give you a choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. What kingdom are you going to build? What kingdom are you going to fight for? Where are your best time, talent, treasure, and energy going to be expended? And then Joshua, in a very humble yet bold thing, says this. As for me and my house, we're all in. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to take the masculine mandate of Genesis 2.15 and we're going to live it out on earth. I'm going to work and I'm going to keep for the Most High God. Or as David said, man, it's better to be one day, one day in the presence of God than a thousand days anywhere else. David would rather have a one day long life. He'd rather be a mayfly in the kingdom of God than an octogenarian living out their own life no matter how much money, how much fame, and how much pleasure they may have. That's David. And so Joshua shows us what is kingdom leadership about for us? What is it? And we're going to see that it's not coercion. Ken Blanchard says that the key to successful leadership today is influence, not authority. That our leadership in the kingdom of God today is influence, not authority. So I wish... You know, I wish that I used this properly all the time, but I don't. But it begs the question, if my leadership is influence, then here's the question, then who or what is influencing me and who or what is influencing you? And that's a big, big question. And we're not going to talk about it today except around the table time, but every one of us is going to have to answer that question. Who or what will influence us Because whatever your answer is, that will determine your future. That will determine the rest of your days. And by the way, it's cool because what influences us, we can control. 
We can turn things off. We can choose what we watch. We can choose what we read. We can choose what we listen to. We can choose who we hang out with. We can even choose what we pray about. My heart has been changed by praying blessing over people who have done me wrong. Like physically, abusively done me wrong. That I I hated. And God called me to pray for them every day and pray for them. And I pray for them. I pray for people. And God changed my heart. All of a sudden I found, you know what? I don't care what they did. I don't care what they, I hope they're in heaven. I hope God rips their heart inside out and makes them completely brand new. And they're full of his kingdom and they're full of his joy. Because you know what? That would be awesome to have somebody else laboring alongside and building his kingdom here. And so I want to propose to us that that we need to return to the gold standard of living for us all. And so what is the gold standard of living? The very first command that God gave Adam and Eve, the first command he gave to Adam was to work and to keep in the garden. The very first command he gave to Adam and Eve was to do what? Be fruitful and multiply. God is into fruitfulness. He is the God of multiplication. Now, we know what he meant when he said be fruitful and multiply. It wasn't like sprout oranges and invent the calculator. It was to be intimate with your wife, right? To produce godly offspring. That's what Micah, I mean, that's what Malachi 2 says, that God brought us together that we would bring godly offspring. That everything God does is about growth and multiplication. Healthy things grow. And so also, though, to the church, the very first command he gave to the church was the exact same command, wasn't it? We call it the what? Great Commission. And I want to give you the Great Commission in in a quadroscopic way in 4D. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, that's typically what we think of when we think of the Great Commission, right? I mean, I know that's what I think of. And just just listen to these words. It says, all authority. So, So how much authority? All. All authority. All authority on heaven, all authority on earth. In other words, this trumps, there's no authority that will trump this command, right? There's no higher authority that's ever going to rescind the command. It's been given. We get it. So God gives us his command here. And here it is. Go, therefore, and make disciples. The imperative was make disciples of all nations. Then he qualifies it, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Spirit, uh, teaching them to observe all I've commanded. And he knew it was going to be hard. He knew it was going to be lonely. He knew that we would be afraid. He knew all of it, so he gives us a promise. And so here we get the command of God. We get the authority in which to operate. And we get the promise of God. And the promise was his presence, that God would be with us, that wherever we go, God is with us. Does that make sense? That's normally the Great Commission. Today I want to expand it out. I want to look at it from four angles. And so part two... And, and if you're a member of this church, this, this verse is something that's sort of, we've, we've got it. It's sort of permeated all. It's, it's Acts 1-8. And in it, we see the scope and the sequence. And let me just say it very simply, that the, uh, the verse here, it says, you'll receive power, you'll be my witnesses, and it says, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Summarize it. What's the scope and sequence? Well, the, the scope is global, Right? All the way around the world, the sequence is start where you are. Start where you are. Make disciples around the world by starting where you are. 
So where are you? I want you to look. I want you this week. I want your eyes open. I want you to begin to pray. I want you to say, God, where am I? Show me the people around me that need you. Show me the people around me that I can invest my life in. Show me. Begin to pray that. We're going to look next week. We're going to have very practical ways we can begin to do these things. But how do I know if I've made a disciple? You know? Sure, okay, so I'm going to do it. I'll start today and I'm going to do it. So how do I know when I get there? Well, Colossians 1, 28 and 29 gives us the target of that. Here's the reality. We're quick to baptize and we're very slow to disciple. That conversion was never the target of the gospel. It was never the target of the gospel. We, in making disciples, you will have people convert into Christianity, but that should not be the end That would be like thinking that the parents, our job is just to bring them into the earth. Our job is just to pop out the baby and then leave the baby, right? That's insane. We'd never imagine to do that. We would say that's cruel and unusual. We'd say that's a bad dad or a bad mom, and we'd incarcerate them. And then we would try to find a good mom and a good dad and take that child and raise that child up, right? I mean, it's just common sense. But spiritually, we do it all the time. We do. And so how are we going to do that? It is hard work. It says, look, for this I toil. I have to struggle with all of my energy. In other words, Paul is saying it takes everything, every all of his energy to do this. All of it. It's a full-time gig. If you've got a kid, if you're a parent, you know that. When you come home from work, are you off work? Oh, no, your job's just beginning. It is just beginning. If you're a single guy and you come back and you've got an apartment, in an apartment you've got roommates, if you truly want to make an impact in their life, is your, is your job done when you left your work? It's not. I guarantee you it's not. And so we go to Scripture and we say, God, we want to understand you, so he gives us theology, but he also gives us his methodology. And I love it. First, uh, 2 Timothy 2.2, God shows us how we can do this. He gives us the method. And here it is, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. There are four generations here. The method is simple, man to man to man to man. You're his method. I'm his method. It's risky. I mean, that's way out there risky. If God was a control freak, this would not be the method, I promise you. It wouldn't. There's way too much, way too much freedom that he has given you and he's given me, just like he gave Adam. And Adam didn't fulfill the masculine mandate. He didn't work and keep the kingdom of God. My fear is that there, most of the men in the church are not engaged in the masculine mandate to work and to keep the kingdom of God. That we're not. This isn't about guilt. This is about truth. And I hope you hear my heart. I'm not up here saying, I got it, and you don't, and you stink, and I'm righteous. We're all righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm concerned that we are missing the most important thing and that the danger in Christianity today is that we are going to be very easily tempted to believe that because I give money and because I attend... And because I sing songs and because I read my Bible this morning and because I am a pretty good man, i.e. I'm better than the guy in the cubicle next to me because he goes to the strip club and I don't go to the strip club, that I've somehow fulfilled the great commission 
that I fulfilled. And I've, I know I'm, I'm exonerated, God. I, I'm a minister on staff at a church and Pastor Greg signs my paycheck. I don't have to make disciples. You know, I do the, that's men's breakfast thing and all these guys get to hear good teaching and all that. You know, I don't have to do it, do I, God? I'm, I, I'm off the hook, right? And to that, I'm going to say, no, we're never off the hook. All authority on heaven and earth, it'll never rescind the masculine mandate to work and to keep the kingdom of God on earth. So how can we start? Well, let's start today. God has given me this, this picture in my head, and it's nothing fancy. I call it the funnel of intentionality. And if there's a misspelling, that's because this was very late last night. I'm not into making PowerPoints, but if we don't have PowerPoints at 6.30 in the morning, I know that gets really bad. I know. So... First, interact. I interact with thousands of people every week. That's the nature of my job because I'm at a very large church. My kids, I've got four kids. They're on different teams. I go to their practices. There's hundreds of people there. I say hi. We shake hands. How's it going? Great. Da, 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 da. Don't know everybody's name. Don't know what's going on in people's lives. Sort of uh, raised in the South. So you say, hey, man, how's it going? Oh, great. And it's a greeting. It's not a sincere ask. Okay, indicted. But then I'm involved. I'm involved in probably about 100 people's lives through Facebook, through personal conversations, texting, email, all of that. I know, I know prayer needs. I know what's going on in their life. I know struggles. I pray for people. I've got on my phone, I've got this app where it, it's a note app, but I just put reminders on tons of different people's prayers. So when they say, hey, I need you to pray, I'm praying for that. And I have a reminder and it pops up. And I just say, do I want it every day, every other day, every second day, every third day? And it pops up a text message to me for that person. It's got their name on it. Uh, Al's getting ready to get married in the not too distant future. And, uh, and, and I pray every day for he and his fiance. I pray for purity. I, I pray for all the planning, all the communication, all the chaos that goes with that. Right? I, I do that. Now, I want to do that. that that's, I'm involved for there. But at the tip of this funnel is an investment. We interact with lots of people. We're involved with, with a pretty good number of people, some of you more than others just because of your job. But then we are to invest in a very small number of people. Why is it a small number? Because, frankly, there's no way you can put the time and the energy, and all that goes into that, into 50 people. Jesus did it with 12. I'm thinking if I'm doing two or three, wow, that's a lot, right? It's better if you can do two or three together. But a lot of us can't. But this idea of investment is there. I want you to think right now, I want you to think about the people that you interact with and that you're involved with. And I want you this week, homework assignment this week, I want you to pray and think about some names that God could put on your heart of men. Now, that could be in your home. It could be a roommate. It could be a son. It could be a daughter. It could be your wife. It could be a girlfriend. I get it. Somebody, a couple of names of people that you could begin to invest in. And then you may say, well... Eric, how do I know? I, no one came to mind right now. I'm like, just pray. Every day this week, pray. When you think about it, pray about it. Think about it, pray about it. God will answer that prayer. And I know why, and let me tell you why. Because number one, we are his method. 
We are his method to establish his kingdom on earth and to build the kingdom. We are. Number two, we are his plan. There is not a plan B. There isn't. If we don't do this, it won't happen. Now, don't hear me saying that all of the world depends on Eric Reed. No, it's really not what we do. It's allowing him to work through us, right? And I know this, that if you pray, he'll show you. And I know this about God's plans. They do not fail. His plan will not fail. That he will put people on your heart. He will put people on my heart. And we can invest in their life. We can disciple or mentor, whichever word you want to use. We can do this. So the the next three weeks, pretty simple. We're going to look at how can you, and every one of us is under this command. Every one of us is under the authority of God on this. This isn't about guilt. It's not about, oh, you got to do this. It's like, do you or don't you want to live a life that's empowered by the Holy Spirit and advance and build his kingdom, or do you want to do your own thing? And if I'm writing the story, I'll tell you how your story is going to end if you opt for your own thing. And if I'm writing the story, God's already shown us what it's going to end in if we advance his kingdom. He's shown us. It ends in glory. It ends in well done, my good and faithful servant. Now come into, come into the kingdom where we will face to face be together again, naked and unashamed. We will be back and better than in the garden because there will be no future sin. Sin has been eradicated. There will be no death. Death has been done away with. It will be better. It will be perfected because we will be perfected. It will be coming back to the standard of living that God established. And so my prayer and hope is that 81 years after our country left the gold standard, that we as men of God would return to God's gold standard of living to work and to keep his kingdom by making disciples. So with the time that's left, we got about 15 minutes, and some of you, I hope you can hang later and talk. There are five, four or five questions at the very bottom of that second page. I I want you to talk. You won't cover them all. I, I get that. But my challenge to you, I really, is come back next week. We've got three weeks. We want to invest and train in you. Bruce agreed with this. I agree with this. The leadership team agreed with this. Eric has agreed with this. We've all agreed we want to raise up men that can make an impact for the kingdom of God. And we believe we got too many men saying, well, I don't know enough. I'm not mature enough. Well, if you only knew, I don't have much time. I don't. The parable of the talents should convince all of us that if we don't use the little bit we got, guess what? You may not have a chance down the road. It may be gone. You're only going to live with your roommate for maybe the next year. Who knows? Right? I mean, we've got neighbors for X number of times. I don't know how long they're going to be there. We need to make disciples now. And so I love you guys. Hope you hear the, the, the spirit of that. All right. Hey, uh, Father God, thank you for these men. Thank you for this morning. Uh, would you guide them around the table? But, but Father, 
I pray they would say yes to you in this area, and I pray that I would be faithful in this area. And Lord, put the, the right heart in us and, and, God, the right names in our heads for the people that we should invest our heart and our time into. We love and thank you, Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.